Turn to 1 Corinthians 11, every preacher's nightmare. What in the world? I wouldn't even do this if it wasn't in the Word of God. So would you bear with me for that? And I want all you women to go out and buy a hat. Uh, i got to tell you something about my own history with this chapter 11 uh, before we get in it. And by the way, John MacArthur gave me a, a Bible, and it's an ESV, so I'm going to use it. And so uh, it's a little bit more literal than an NIV. And I'd say if you ever could read Leland Riken, uh, the literature prophet Wheaton, who's written two books on English translations, it's more literal, but it's well-written. Uh, it's more like King James and probably New American Standard. And uh, uh, I've been used, I've used, this will be the third translation I've used in uh, nearly 40 years. I started out with the New American Standard, then I went to the NIV, now I'm going to do the ESV. And so it won't differ much, so don't panic. If you wonder, where is he reading from? Uh, that's what I'm doing. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit before we read the text. Uh, I, I've had a weird experience. Let me read it, then let me tell you, okay? Uh, 11.2. Now I commend you, and this isn't you, it's them. I commend you, Corinthians, because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. Traditions is oral tradition passed down by the apostles. It's bad when it's uh, man-made interpretations on top of Scripture, but sometimes it has a positive use, and here is positive. This was the oral tradition that was handed down to the churches. I praise you for doing it. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, every Christian man. The head of a wife, and some would make this just female, but reading, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God, God the Father. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Now, if you make this hair, every one of you men praying that are not bald, so it, it has to be something more than hair, doesn't it? Prays with your something with his head covered, dishonors his head, Christ or his own person. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, her own person or maybe even her husband, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. And that, that was bad in that culture. It, it pointed out temple prostitutes, Women were shaven who had committed adultery or had children out of wedlock. So it was a very, very shameful thing in this culture. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut off, cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. 
Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God, this is in the assembly, with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her, and this is a different word for covering, for a wraparound, as it were. It, it's a different word. Uh, some will take this verse and say, well, look at there. If she's got hair, she's got the covering. He would not have even had to argue for that if that was true. He assumed these women had hair. For her hair is given to her for a covering. That's just her natural endowment. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. What I'll try to do uh, in this passage is to let us consider timeless truths and then perhaps uh, cultural vehicles or symbols that have passed off the American scene and we ask the question, are there any symbols in our culture to convey the primary message that he saw behind it? Now, I want to give you uh, uh, an honest confession here. I, I think you need to know this. I have sweat great drops of blood over this passage. And I'm not sure I know any more than when I started it, when I read everybody. The more I read, the more confused I am. Uh, most guys, um, I was just in the class with uh, Manny, and we were reading a book by Piper who says, you must deal with hard text. And when I looked up how he dealt with this, he omitted it in his series. I feel like writing him a letter, saying, why didn't you help me out here? Um, and then I, let me tell you what I did, my personal experience that will humiliate me, but I want you to know it. Um, the first time I ever preached this, this is the third time I've ever preached this passage, so it's not a hobby horse. Uh, and I don't really care what you do as long as you obey the Lord. Is that fair? Uh, but when I first preached this, I preached that this was all cultural, had no relevance, and uh, let us move on. As we were riding home from church, my wife said, what you may say as you go home today, I never heard you do such a lousy job. You seem to have dodged every issue and never dealt with the text. So thank you, Carolyn. Uh, the next week I came back, studied some more, changed my view totally, and she started having to wear a hat for the next three years. That's right. That's right. Uh, we used to wear coverings in this church, hats. Uh, not for style, but because of first. Matter of fact, the women, a lot of young women, they just kept them on a hook in the foyer. They just picked them up, boom. And so the only time in week we thought they were submissive. And uh, so... Uh, we did it, because we, 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 it's the Word of God. I don't get to dance. See, if you don't believe the Bible, you could dance around every passage you don't like. I don't get that luxury. I'm a Bible preacher, even when I'm confused about what it says, okay? You don't have to. I do. I do, because I said I'll preach Bible books. 
That's why I haven't preached First Chronicles. I find a lot of chapters wouldn't apply. But then um, I had to study it again on the doctoral level when I was at Dallas, and I was just astounded at the diversity of opinion of men who take the Bible seriously. And so at that point, I finally thought, I'm not going to die on this mountain. Uh, I'm not going to die for a view. I'm just going to give it my best. And so today I want to do two things with you. Let's see what is timeless, what is taught here that is a t- are timeless truths, and there are some here. And then let's look at what the cultural symbols to convey that message was that they're commended for. And then our third issue is what symbols do we have? What symbols do we have? Uh, let's start out with what's timeless in the passage that applies anytime. Why would God even want us to know it? Well, let's start with uh, verse 3. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Is that true? Every Christian man. And the head of a wife is her husband. Some Give me an amen. And those that are in doubt, be quiet. This is the divine order. It is not California necessarily, but this is God's word. And the head of Christ is God. Now, there's a debate. The word kephala, the word for head here, there are good men that make it source, that they're the origin of. Uh, and so the husband or the man is the origin of the woman since he was made first. Um, a man like by the name of Wayne Grudem argues for it being an authority figure. It's used in Ephesians. Christ is the head of the church. while he's both the source of it and he has authority over the church. We understand it to be an authority figure. God the Father is not the source of Christ. Did you know there's never been a time when God the Father existed that the Son did not exist? They're co-eternal. Arian heresy said that God made Christ in time, that he was the firstborn creation. This is Jehovah's Witness teaching. It came from a man by the name of Arius in church history. Christ is not a spinoff. He's co-equal with the Father, co-eternal, and he was active in creation according to Colossians 1 and John 1. So we wouldn't see the Father as the source of the Son. We'd see him as an authority over the Son. Now, this Trinitarian model is one that we should all know. Uh, I struggled about church leadership, and I struggled somewhat about uh, godly Christian homes. Uh, are we male chauvinists if we say men ought to be the head? Because quite frankly, I've seen some men that don't hardly know how to get out of the house. I'm not impressed. Just because a man's a man doesn't make him a leader necessarily. But he's put in this role. This is the divinely ordained role for him to be the head of that house as a protector, as a provider, as the spokesman. So take the divine order. But authority is a scary thing. It's very scary for one human being 
to acknowledge that the other person has authority over them because I'm not sure how you'll use it on me. So what I believe the great model for the Christian is the Trinity, that you have three equals, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but you have three distinct roles, and you have two members submitting to the Father. The Father never submits to the Holy Spirit, not in Scripture. You never have him submitting to the Son. It's always the Son to the Father, the Spirit to the Son, both of them, because we call it the little theological terms. You just got to hear it. One is ontological. In their being, they're of equal substance, of equality. They're all as much God as you could ever get. The Holy Spirit is not lesser God than the Father. We are Trinitarian. Do you understand that? Go baptize them in the name, you know the singular? The name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Our God is a, uh, what would you call it, a, um, a complex unity. Or a, it's like he's one cluster of grapes. It's one in one sense, but there's many grapes. He made the morning and the evening, and he called it one day. Two parts, one day. Man and woman become one flesh. So it's a compound unity. Our God is one as to his essence and nature. He's compound in that there's three distinct persons who manifest this one God. Now, the way authority is to be exercised in Christian church, in the Christian home, where Christ is the head of that home, is authority is never used to abuse those under it. The authority is always used to minister to them, build them up, protect them. Uh, it's used for good, but there is an authority there. So he says, in the divine order, there is a ranking of authority. God the Father over the Son, the Son over the Christian man, the Christian man over his wife. So I believe that is true all the way. Even in Christ, where we're one, I don't see the elimination of these distinct lines of authority. Some would say so. Uh, let's see some other things that we could say here that is true. Notice in verse 8 and 9, we'll jump there, to see the divine design of man and woman. Man was not made from woman, but woman from man. What is he referring to? Genesis 2. Genesis 1, he just says he made male and female. He made mankind in his image. And we don't get this order. You go to chapter 2, Genesis, where he spells out the detail, and he tells there was a time that there was just a man on the earth without a woman. And God looked on Adam and the humility of God is overwhelming. He said, you know what, Adam? I am not enough to remove the loneliness I see in you. We meet each day and we have fellowship, but I still see a lonely man. I still see a man that even though you've got God, even though you've got paradise, you lack something. You lack a counterpart. You've named all these animals. Giraffes have got a counterpart. The hippo's got a counterpart, but you don't. 
I'm going to put you to sleep. And I can imagine the nightmare if he thought God was going to make something for him. If the last thing you named was gorilla. What will I wake up to see? And then he wakes up and he says, wow, you created something that's not a clone, but a complement, and in Hebrew, a strong kind of helper that supplies what's lacking in me. This woman is a strength to me, is a complement. Women are never viewed as inferior. They're never viewed as less. They're never viewed uh, without equality of worth. They came from the hand of the Creator. But in the order, man was first, then God sees he was in need, and so he makes a woman to meet that need and to deliver him. So he says right here, for man was not made from woman, God directly made him. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. You've got to go back to Genesis 2 to see that, that the man is in need of help. God sees it. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to give you a wife that I designed. Uh, it, the humility of God is, uh, it, it'd be kind of rough, you know, if uh, I was with you all the time, and then one day you came in, I realized I'm not enough for you. I said, you're right. You got it. You're not. See, that's in Christian marriage. By the time you get married, you find out being married isn't enough. I got to have God. Just, oh, honey, if I had you, everything would be different. Yeah, it will be, but some things won't. Your need for God won't be different. You, you may have that helpmate, but you still need this relationship with God. Now he's going to say something else. He goes on to talk about in Christ, in Christ, things change a bit. And notice this, uh, verse 11, nevertheless, in the Lord, in Christ, I take this to be the Christian ideal, the woman is not independent of man, nor, here's the astounding, nor man of woman, and this would be, wow, right in the face of culture. I don't need the woman. In Christ, he says, especially we need her. We're interdependent. Sisters in Christ have something to contribute to our well-being and our makeup in Christ. Uh, have you ever admitted that? They're not just accidents in the body. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have a figure, but I keep saying 65 to 70% of the body of Christ is women. What in the world are we going to do with them? We should enjoy them and know that God's gifted them. God has made them contributors. And the worst thing we can do is just push them to the sideline. You notice it's a time of silence. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. So, he says several important things. Authority in the sexes and in the Trinity and in Christ being Lord over the man in place. The creation order, hey, I made the woman after I made the man. And he uses that as an argument many times for his headship. But nevertheless, in Christ, in Christ, 
we are interdependent so that we need both one another. I have to say that Christianity is the greatest thing God ever gave to women. Because in Christianity, God did two things. He gave us a divine model of one who has absolute authority and how he used it towards his bride, the church. And the one in absolute authority said, I love my bride, I sacrifice myself for the bride, and I who was never married, Jesus Christ, I am the model for the Christian home for the man. Nourish your wife, cherish your wife, treat her as you treat your own body, inflict nothing that would injure her, use all your authority, all your headship for her benefit, for her protection. There's no clue anywhere that he's a tyrannical, wife-beating, abusive man. Christ is the model of how the authority is used. Now, I ask you, can you trust Christ? Can you trust Christ? Then I ask you this, can you trust a man that Christ is Lord of? And can you trust a man that is being filled by the Spirit in Ephesians 5 to follow the Christ model? We never have a theology that tells a woman to stay in a home so a man can beat you up. I've moved them in my house. I will not stand by and tell a woman, submit to a man that beats you up. We rescue lives. We rescue women. We must. And what's being done to women in the world, I must say the reason women are so afraid for us to say men are the head is because the incredible universal abuse of women by men. Now, you've got to be fat, dumb, and stupid not to know what's going on in the sex trade all over the world, what's going on in Asia, what's going on everywhere. Uh, even Katie Anderson is involved in trying to rescue uh, young women from the sex trade. They're being sold on the streets of Sacramento and taken to Thailand to work brothels all over the place. And so women shudder when they say, men are in charge, but wait, 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 wait. I always say this, you, you need a little bit of a geopolitical view here. Where Christianity, did Paul want to take Christianity east? He did. And, and, and the Lord withstood him, no, go west. And I'm always amazed that where Christianity did not go east from Jerusalem, Iran, Iraq, keep going. Women are treated the worst on the planet. Only where Christianity has gone have women been elevated. Don't ever be afraid of the Christian view because what it does, Christ softens male harshness. It softens the curse that there's this rivalry between the sexes in Genesis 3 and the blaming one another, Adam blaming Eve and Eve blaming Adam. No, no, in Christ, there's a different relationship so that I look on women now as mothers, as sisters, even daughters, because it creates not animosity, but a family so that the sexes are no longer at odds with each other, that we're family. And that's the way we ought to treat a woman. She's family. Your wife ought to be treated as though she's your own body. And if you don't know what to do, treat her like Christ would. 
He's the model, not the latest marriage theory. Christ is the model. You know, I, it, it's amazing when you've got the Holy Spirit as the umpire in your marriage. I, I love to argue with Carolyn. I could whip her in two minutes. Dominant, uh, always right, scrapper from Richmond, both verbally and physically. Come on, let's have a good But she was a peace-loving person. She grew up where there was heartbreak and divorce and drunkenness. She'd seen plenty of confusion. So I won all arguments. But I found out I was losing the woman. I was winning nothing. And what I really wasn't winning was a good night's sleep because the Holy Spirit would clean my clock all night. Say, well, you big bully, you better go back and get right or I'm going to be so quenched in your life. Don't ask me to illuminate the word and don't pray to me until you get right with that woman. He's done many at the, oh, that's not, you don't need to clap that, but that, I'm just saying the Holy Spirit, not, not some marriage theory class, the Holy Spirit can do that. Because I don't have a prayer life unless I get along with who I married. Some of you gave up on prayer, huh? Because you're going to continue fighting. Holy Spirit won't fill a man that runs over his wife. It won't. If you're a saved man, you better learn how to treat your wife like Christ. If you don't like the model, get another Savior. He's her Savior too. I don't want to bash men because I got three daughters. And I don't want any guys pushing them around. And that isn't even Bible. That's just a dad that needs a ball bat. Don't be pushing around my daughter. She was a gift before you got her. What are you doing with her? She's gotten ugly. It's under you. She was pretty when you came courting. All right. Oh, I better get off that quick. Jason will be here at the second service. Sean will be coming up, working me over. Dad, go easy, go easy. We're good to them. I believe they are. Uh, I better move on. I told you this is a tough passage. Uh, it goes on one other thing he says that I think we can l latch on to. He says that nature, in verse 14, teaches us that just in the nature of things, that God wants a distinction to be, always be kept between men and women, and he did it by means of hair. And in most cultures, the hair style and the hair lengths differ between men and women. I, I think that's uniform. Now, I don't know how long is long. Let, let's go back to the hippie era. If you want to grow your hair long, guy, help yourself. We'll still preach to you. If you want to go bald, that's okay. But the woman, there's always been that distinction, and he's saying, what I'm arguing for, even nature naturally endowed you with a distinction. So let's, let's repeat four things. The nature of authority, it still exists even though we're Christians. God is still the head of Christ. Christ is still the head of the man, and the man should be the head of the woman. And that can make feminists go wild, but I think that's exactly what the verse says. Um, two, uh, there is a divine order that the woman came after the man. She came to help the man. Three, there's an interdependence between the sexes in the church. 
We need each other. We don't treat each other like we don't need them. We do need them. And then fourthly, in the nature of things, God, uh, some way in nature, has always made a distinction between maleness and femaleness. So when we come to church, let's not remove that distinction. Let's keep the distinction, even though we're one in Christ, okay? Now, what we want to look at is what uh, were the symbols that they were doing that were approved. He's commending them. You're doing something in your setting that's good, and you're doing some things that are bad. Verse 4, let me tell you something bad they were doing. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. There were men coming to church, obviously covering their head, doing prayer and services, and he said, this is dishonorable. Cut it out. Goes after the men first. The Jews did not start wearing something on their head like the yarmulke till the 4th century A.D. See, we differ with Jews. You'll see the rabbis. I've been to the Wailing Wall and have their hats on and praying and reading the Psalms. Totally unbiblical for the Christian view. We cannot have our heads covered as men. Unless you don't think this has any relevance to you. See, I'm not able to do that. So, men, don't pray. with. If you had a ball cap, you know, I've been youth groups or something. Everybody wearing ball caps. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to pray with them. I think it's unbiblical. I think you say men should not have their head covered. Well, there was something else going on. There were women praying with uncovered heads, and by this they were dishonoring their head. I think it would go back to their husband and even could go to Christ uh, in this context. And he says, if you don't want to have your head covered, go ahead and shave your head. Verse 5. For if she doesn't cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, her head let her cover her head. Now, here's another debate. Here's another cultural thing. Um, I grew up with women that let their hair grow long. And that was really a part of a cultural thing. Long hair was even a mark of that. Well, I can die up here trying to get the God-ordained hair length for everybody. I don't know that. But they, in this culture, hair was a distinguishing mark. If a woman was shaved uh, and had her hair off, she was either a prostitute, and we have instances, or she'd had a child out of wedlock, they used that many times. Or she had been shamed and her hair cut off as her husband put her out of the home for adultery. So it was a shameful symbol for her hair to be cut off. Now, the hair links, I think you just say, keep it distinct. Men and women, keep that distinct. And so he's arguing, don't blur that. In your culture, it's recognized the hair link means something and also, in an assembly, it means something if the woman's covered or not. It sends a message in this setting. It sends a message. I acknowledge my husband's authority, and it was a good thing. Well, he said, you ought to even wear this in verse 10, which is a tough verse. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Why in the world would angels care if her head was covered? 
I don't ultimately know, uh, but it says they do see it. They see an acknowledged authority. And so let's say several things. Angels in the New Testament attended church. Ephesians 3, uh, 1 Peter 1, 12. Angels happened to see among their ranks one-third of the angels exert authority against God, and they lost them in their ranks. So they seem to be observant of what goes on in church, and something that was pleasing that they saw was submission, voluntary submission to the headship of the husband. And so they were pleased. It gave, when she wore a sign of authority, a sign that she was under authority, it was pleasing even in the angelic realm because they've experienced rebellion among their ranks. I will go above God's throne. I will rebel. I will not submit to God's authority. And, of course, a third of them were kicked out of heaven. So he's saying there's something that goes on with this head covering that's sending out a message in your culture that you're a one a woman under authority, a woman that is not uh, in rebellion. And so in verse 13, judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Then he goes on, nature itself has given woman the hair for her glory, and even it has been given as a covering, so why not wear the covering? Now, that's what I understand this to be teaching in that historical setting. My problem is it is not a universal practice anymore. It's not practiced in the West. Maybe Anglicans have done it. Catholics sometimes have a saw. But uh, some way it's, it's faded from uh, Bible-believing churches. I know German Baptists. There are, there are groups, brethren people, who wear it. I have to say this. If you were a woman that wore a covering, I deeply respect you because of the verse. If you don't wear it, I deeply respect you because most of us guys don't know what it means, clearly. So it's not something that you die for because the cultural, what was working in the culture, a veiled group of women, a veiled culture that interpreted, here's the problem, and you help me answer this. What is there, what do we have in our culture? What symbol of submission do we have? And I'm sincerely asking that. I, I don't know of any. Can you got an answer? What was that? A wedding ring? Uh, do you think that is a, that this has a, I acknowledge my husband as an authority in my life. And is that, do, you, do you think it does that? It might be the closest thing we have. What else? We take the, take the man's name in marriage. Uh, that's good until you get a credit card. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, take their name, a uh, wedding ring. I mean, we can have a little discussion here. Uh, it's got to speak loud. Okay. Okay. That, that's the thing. Uh, as a symbol, 
it seems like we have few symbols that are culturally recognizable of the male-female distinctiveness. And here's another thing. Uh, do you think there is a blurring in our culture between femaleness and maleness? Unisex, uh, uh, that with the uh, industrial revolution that we took women out of the home, put her in the workplace. Uh, we have more women graduating from college now with their bachelor's or master's than we do men. That's just a fact. Uh, more women are breaking through now uh, the ceiling and becoming executives of their own companies or other companies. So uh, the myth that she's inferior uh, is out the window. Uh, look at these women running for senator in the state of California, Boxer and the others. Um, that I think another thing we should be concerned about, are we teaching our boys to act like men and our girls like women? Or is there any distinction? Well, I would th God wants there to be a distinction. And we ought to teach little girls to be feminine, and that doesn't mean weak. There ought to be, I'm a little nervous if they don't want to ever wear a dress. I'm a little nervous. Uh, and if the boy only wants to play with dolls, I'm nervous. I think we need, in our culture, we have so obliterated. In, in our, we have no symbols of uh, male leadership. That's done away because everything is the battle for equality, equality, equality. And that's on some fronts is a good thing. But in the church, we want to maintain the dignity of women, the dignity of men, and their unique, distinct function towards one another, towards the body of Christ, without demeaning either. And that, that takes a spirit-filled life, a ton of wisdom, and I think a conscientious awareness as a church. We are not here to run over women, and we're not here to despise male leadership, are we? God wants men to lead the church, and he would love for them to lead the home. And I understand submission as the voluntary, voluntary ranking myself under another for the sake of the Lord. I'm doing this because I love the Lord, and I'm doing, following them. What's tricky, I don't mind Christ being my head because he's perfect. What's real tricky is when you get a fallible man being your head who is imperfect, who's still in sin. And so you've got to ask, men, is Christ Lord of your life? That's your question. Is he the Lord of your life in the way you carry out your role? And women, uh, unless you look beyond the husband, you'll never submit because there's no perfect ones out there. But he said in Ephesians 5, we submit to them as unto the Lord. He is the divine motivation so that when I see a woman who is godly and submissive, I know she's a divine product because I've never produced a submissive woman in my life. It's out of my realm. I, don't, I could subjugate them, but I can't give them a submissive spirit. Only God can. Only God produce, and just like a man, I can't make a man submit. 
That has to be a work of the Spirit. And so I ask myself, live out as though Christ is your head. Covering, we don't have it. It's not practice. We have no symbols hardly. So it evaporated somewhere in church history. Went by the way. So we've got the same truths. Headship, that truth is still around. Creative order, man first, woman second. A creative interdependence in Christ, we need one another. Nature has made a distinction. I know those things. Covering, I gave up on it myself, but you know what? Here's the question I think you ought to ask yourself. Would you wear it if you thought that was exactly what we were told to do? That, that, that's the heart attitude. Would I do it? And... Um, when we first did it, kind of hard on our church, it split us down the middle. We could have had a church split over it because some people saw it, some didn't. And so those who didn't, they looked like rebels. Uh, we can make say, well, you're not submitting. No, I don't see it. I don't understand it, and neither do a uh, hundred scholars. They don't know what to do. So that's why Piper didn't preach on it. He didn't know what to do with it. But I went on record for the third time in 40 years, I straightened you out on the covering. 